Lewis and the Basket. Good news is your dates are here. Bad news. He was torn apart! Off his head like mutton gingerbread man. Welcome back to Don't Open This Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. And I'm Tim. And we're back with quite an eclectic menu for everybody. We're calling this episode, number 27, Fresh Cuts, Five Servings of Fear. And we decided to do a Fresh Cuts, like, mini-series that we'll, we'll pepper in whenever there's a bunch of stuff that's out that we can't really fit into any of our predetermined episodes but it's stuff we just need to cover. And we have covered in the past that there's a few movies we missed from last year. So we're kind of bookending a couple of the ones that got away in with some stuff that is in theaters. And I know I'm pretty excited about it because it's going to be an interesting freaking episode. Are you excited, Tim? Oh, yeah. I think it's... Oh, yeah? It's it's an <laughs> just eclectic a mix. I mean, it's... You got killer robot dolls you have demonic clowns you have a bear hopped up on fresh powder and the the one and only slasher that is dominating every water cooler around bodies town. bodies bodies yeah well there's that too <laughs> oh and um, the other one yeah but really um i am excited because um i think we actually hinted in maybe our last episode we admitted that we had seen two movies that our listeners kept sending us messages about. And that's back from when we did our our Year in Fear 2022 wrap-up. We had mentioned Bodies, 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 and Terrifier 2. So rest assured, those two movies are in here. We're going to get to them. But first we have to get to, I don't know, a movie that proves like fact is stranger than fiction? Ripped from the headlines? I think it's a great return to a classic subgenre of when animals attack, except in this case, it is a animal just hopped up on kilo after kilo of blow. Um, <laughs> it's cocaine bear. <laughs> we have such good luck in nature. So cute. Millions of dollars worth of cocaine fell from the sky this morning. There's more of this out there. Check it out. Something got into it. What happened to you? A bear did cocaine. A bear? And don't ever come down. What's wrong with that bear? Cocaine bear. Only in theaters. Yeah, so Cocaine Bear, 2023, directed by Elizabeth Banks. I think this is... A very interesting movie that was a lot of fun that I was expecting to be crazier than it was. Yeah, 
I'm not even sure how we really break this film down simply because it's, I think it's the most horror adjacent film on this list. It, it is more of like Tim said, it's nature runs amok and it is a coked out bear, like ripping people apart. So it's a horror movie, but Elizabeth Banks really ramps up the comedy. I actually got the feeling from just the poster that I was in for a movie that was being made by people intending to make it a cult classic. And that had, I was, I had a few reservations just by that understanding, because as everyone listening knows, if you love psychotronic cinema and midnight movies and cult classics, most of these films only achieve that status when they were sort of inadvertently crowned that. They weren't setting out to make that film, such as a Sharknado or like Zombievers. Those movies are pushing for that from the inception. Yeah, that's why you end up with like that or like Birdemic or something as opposed to like a The Room or Troll 2. It wasn't their goal to do this, but it happened. And I don't want to be a curmudgeon. I'm cool with people liking all of those movies like Ghost Shark and Sharknado 6 and, and all that stuff. It's okay. I don't find there to be much to be gained from those movies. They're they're so low rent and they're so, I don't know, like green screened in that I can't really, I, there, there's nothing um, dimensional about it for me. It, it almost feels like I'm watching like a YouTube video under the guise of a film and it's hard for me to get into them. But this film had a budget. And it had a, oh, yeah. it has a cast. I mean, it's it's definitely a step up from any of that stuff. I want to get that out of the way immediately. Yeah, like for a movie that is a, so it's based or inspired uh, partially on a true story of all of this cocaine that got dropped out of a plane into the the forests, and a bear found it and got hopped up on cocaine, and it ends up following this kind of crime story plus this mother searching for her child out in the woods and. These people going to reclaim the cocaine, but also the police are trying to go there because they're trying to capture the drug dealers and all of this that's transpiring. Despite the craziness of the prospect of the bear on cocaine, that the titular cocaine bear, I think it had a lot of really heartfelt moments and a lot of really likable characters that when things happen to them or when characters get killed or anything... There's certain ones that you actually get disappointed about, or there's ones that you're like, man, I hope he pulls through, which is not what I was expecting for such a, like a silly schlocky thing like Cocaine Bear. Yeah, this was not what I was expecting as well. I'm in total agreement. Uh, Anyone who hasn't seen the poster, I imagine if you haven't, you've still seen a bunch of memes that are poking fun at the poster, but the poster itself, it it really looks like the old Robert Rodriguez Sin City uh, movie poster. (laughs) It really has that vibe. And I have to say, like, I went in, I I don't know why I had expectations, but the core part of the story that's true is very small. And this obviously uses it as a springboard. And it's a a much more um, epic adventure than I think the reality of Cocaine Bear was. Um, I think there's a lot more people involved and a lot more subplots. What did surprise me was, like Tim mentioned, Carrie Russell plays a mom who ends up having to find her missing child. That wasn't really something I thought was going to be in this movie. And I was surprised at 
how much of the drama was actually well done. And I guess that's a testament to Elizabeth Banks, you know, not maybe being an action director or anything. She she seems to have a well-rounded understanding of, of directing. But at the same time, I wanted, I, th- I think I wanted more craziness. I don't think that, I know that. Yeah. I know that I wanted a literal balls out extravaganza of excess because it's called Cocaine Bear. And I kind of got like cocaine bear is second fiddle to these other things. Well, not that they're bad. Yeah. I don't even necessarily mind cocaine bear kind of taking more of a ever looming backseat of like, it's out there and it just pops up throughout the movie. I was hoping when it does pop up, I was expecting it to be kind of a more ramped up gore scenario of just this thing tearing through people. And I totally agree. So much of it was either, off screen or there's certain parts here and there that I was just expecting it to be like the evil dead rise with a bear coming tearing through cabins and things like that. It still ends up being really fun, but then instead of leaning more towards that, like run animals attack horror, it takes more of a kind of crime comedy adventure uh, take on it. And as we just said, it isn't bad. I just think tempering your expectations is important because all, all of the promo for this is is like a murderous rampage. You know, a bear gets coked up and is goes on a, a literal murderous rampage. He goes on a rampage. You do see some murder. But I what I thought was a little tough. Um, I saw this movie in a pretty packed theater and I went with my brother and Aaron and uh, Kristen, who was hosting on our last episode. I feel like Mark and Kristen really, really loved this movie. And I felt like Aaron and I were in this little bit more of a, I guess, critical camp where we th- we both thought that a decent amount of the comedy lands, but I think Tim will agree that some of the comedy, it doesn't really land as squarely as you want it to. And yeah. then for some of the carnage, Tim, do you remember the sequence where it really opens up and the cocaine bear is chasing the ambulance. Yeah. The, yeah. So that's yeah. the scene that everybody probably knows from the trailer. Of the well, that scene is, is fucking like top notch. That scene, I think, is the film firing on all cylinders with the perfect balance of comedy and action and gore. And I loved it. And I just sort of wish there were three, maybe four more sequences that were on par with that, like peppered throughout the film. Because I don't want to say that it lags, but there is a lagging, a couple of moments that kind of, they almost crawl to it like a halt where it's like, okay, where's the cocaine bear and where's the carnage? Like, like I know you got to come up with another plot device for him to somehow get more coke in his nose, but can you please just get it there? Because I want to see some cocaine bear. Like, that's that's where I'm coming from with that. But I yeah. did enjoy the movie. I, I think it's a good movie. I just wanted it to be a movie that I had to beg everyone, you've got to see it. And I don't really know if it had that impression, if it yeah. made me feel that way. Like for me, it's definitely a movie that I will tell people like, check it out. It's fun. Uh, if you're specifically looking for, I want something kind of hard horror, you're not going to find it here. It's not going to be yeah. kind of scratching that itch. But if you're looking for that kind of slightly bonkers, more uh, actiony, uh, with a bit of gore situation. Yeah, it's this great kind of 
I would even not necessarily call it like when I say crime film, there's a certain idea that probably gets put into people's heads of like they're looking for like a Scorsese picture. That's not it also. No, um, it's a crime film with a cocaine bear in it. I yeah. think you're on point with Although that. Although I think as far as the whole crime angle, I loved all of the work between um, O'Shea Jackson Jr. and Alden uh, Ehrenreich. So that's David and Eddie, the young son of Sidney White, Ray Liotta's character, the, the drug dealer who's looking for all this cocaine. He sends O'Shea Jackson Jr.'s character, David, out to go find his son and then bring him in, and then both of them need to go out and find all this cocaine. And I really like the relationship between the two of them the entire movie, and it ends up kind of making all of the downtime between Cocaine Bear, for me, kind of worthwhile, because you like the characters, you like their interaction with each other, from their interactions kind of with everyone else, but I still get it that if you're going in looking for I Want Cocaine Bear... Yeah. Then you're only really getting maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes out of the entire 95 minute runtime of the actual bear on screen at that point. And I'm also a big fan of, you know, giving credit where credit's due. And like you had just laid out, I, I really like that interaction with those characters and that story arc. I think it's really good. I think the cinematography is solid. The performances overall are really above average for this type of film i do think the editing is a little choppy is it fun from beginning to end i'd say yes it probably is the very definition of a popcorn movie um but i do want to present and neither tim or i often do this because it, it could seem a little moronic to explain a scene that wasn't in it that you wanted to be in it but for my friends that have kind of given me a little shit where they're like, you know, like what, what more did you want? I'm going to explain very quickly a sequence that I wanted. And I sort of expected as the movie progressed, the bear moving on to harder stuff. Oh yes, definitely. Um, (laughs) it's pop rocks and Coke. Um, here it is. We've already established Ray Liotta and his final film performance. He plays the main drug dealer guy. Now, I had this vision. I I was like, the movie's going to have to have a crescendo action big shot moment. And in my head, I kept expecting there's a sequence in the movie where Leota is trying to track down his coke through the woods. And he's coming in and he's either solo or he's got one or two guys with him. I really expected a sequence that was very Predator-esque, where I thought you would have Ray Liotta, maybe a, a team of like, I don't know, a dozen one-dimensional bad guy henchmen that are with him. And all I would need is an establishing shot of them coming through the brush and setting up their different perimeter. And I just wanted to see that Coke bear, like, popping out of the woods and snagging a guy and like cutting his head off and then darting back down as they're shooting and have him popping up like a predator and just offing these dudes until maybe the final reveal is he just comes lunging out of the bushes. He rips apart five or six guys and he's just staring at Leota and they have that moment. That is what I really expected to see. And I never got that kind of sequence. And I think that's the only, once again, I apologize for seeming like too critical of a movie fucking called Cocaine Bear. (laughs) I really do like the movie. I just, I just wanted a little more from it. 
that's it. That's my that's my take on that. I do also have to say, so for half of the the movie, so that whole side plot with the the drug dealing and all of that, the other side plot of Carrie Russell's character going after looking for her daughter, I do end up liking. Um, so Christian Convery, who plays uh, the the other little child, who's the friend of her daughter, Henry. I think his name's Henry. Yeah, yeah. He was, so, he was funny. Yeah. So that originally, me at up. the beginning of the movie with the two of them, I was like, okay, like I. I'm all set on the the kids. I don't know how much we're going to have the kids. And then as soon as the movie goes on and Henry's tagging along, I kind of really loved the character. And it was one of those things of funny when it needs to be funny, but also like understandably panicked when there's time yeah. to be panic. Um, also, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the show Sweet Tooth for anybody that following up our dark fantasy uh, show. So it was originally it was a, a comic book. Um, by Jeff Lemire, but Sweet Tooth is, I want to say on like sci-fi or something, or, or Netflix. I think it was um, streaming on Netflix. Yeah, it was on Netflix. Sure. But uh, yeah, so Christian Convery plays the uh, titular Sweet Tooth, who is the the child with antlers. But I, I think Henry's the MVP of this movie. Henry's terrific. At this. He made Between me laugh. Ray Liotta. Yeah, he made me laugh a lot. He was good. Like the entire movie, just watching Ray Liotta play the character of Sid, and I was like, man, I miss this guy. What also... What is the name of the woman who is in Hereditary and American Animals? She's she's an awesome actress. Um, she played the like park ranger lady. Oh, uh, Margot Martindale. That's her name, Margot Martindale. Anyone that saw Hereditary will will know this woman immediately. She's really funny. She's like a a character who has a crush. She's Ranger Liz. She has a crush on this other guy. Is that Peter? Is his name? Yeah, it's, I, think I did not name. realize that it was Jesse Tyler Ferguson until like five minutes into him being on the screen. And I'm like, oh, because he God, just that's, he really melts modern family. Yeah, he like melts into the role. I didn't realize that either. And after the movie, Aaron was like, yeah, it's the guy from Modern Family. And it didn't. He really becomes that character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a, I, I mean, as if you guys saw the movie, you're like listening to this, you know, <laughs> there was another, there's a third plot going on between the two of them. And it was really uh, like kind of a tender romantic comedy, goofy element that I liked. It was cool. Yeah. It's all three plots. I think if you removed the, the bear or if you removed the other plots and stretched out that one, I would have been happy with any of those three just because yeah. it was all of more likable characters, all of them were interesting enough that I would have wanted to see like, what's their day play out like though, if cocaine bear did not come in front of them. (laughs) But yeah, we don't do number ratings as a general rule, but I want people to know, I mean, cocaine bear is like an 82 to to my, if I'm judging on like a, a wacky fun popcorn movie, it's a, it's a B for sure. I don't know if I could place it higher. Yeah, it's definitely one that you get a bunch of people together and you throw on cocaine bear and you say, check this out. Am I crazy or is it like a real good double feature with Violet Night? I can see that. Yeah. I, like they're different movies, but it just, I don't know, the tones are similar. Yeah. the I think it's the violence in conjunction with the the comedy aspect to it works well together, especially then having that juxtaposition of the cold winter setting versus the hot woods. Yeah. So my coming off of cocaine bear, um, after that high, uh, there was another movie that actually, when we 
talked, as you said, about the year in fear 2022. And there was those movies that all of the listeners ended up reaching out and saying, oh, my God, you haven't seen Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and Terrifier 2. I know I think we both did the you go that way, I go this way. Yeah. And you watch Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and I watch Terrifier 2. And, and then, then we, we ended swapped. up swapping. Yeah. Um, so what was your take on Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? You guys. is me. Why are you guys being so weird? Are you talking about me? I'm gonna go. Who wants to play Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Our friend is dead. What do you know about Greg? Hey, nerds! He's a Libra moon that says a lot! What the f*** is going on? That would be so obvious if I were the killer. Is it you? No. Yes. No. Yes. Well, I never hid the fact that I had refrained from seeing bodies, 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 because I saw the trailer and the trailer I found, I don't know, it was sort of grating and annoying. So I was just like, I was at odds because I'm like, this is an A24 movie and this doesn't feel like any part of of their um, ensemble of films. So I knew there had to be something to it. But I kind of stayed away from it for a while. I'm also not really like a massive fan of Pete Davidson. I mean, I don't dislike the guy really, but I don't find him to be that funny. And I know that his perform, like him being in a movie, would kind of be a draw for a decent portion of of a viewing audience. So there really was no one in it that was grabbing me, other than the fact that, like I told you, uh, Maria Bakalova was the girl in. Um, Oh God, Borat two, the the second Borat movie. I watched oh, the second yes. Borat movie. You know, it just eventually I watched it, and I thought she was absolutely amazing. Like she was such a great performance. So when I realized that was her, that kind of warmed me up a little bit more. And I also love Lee Pace. So there was enough making me want to give it a try, and um, and I watched it, really not knowing much about it other than just that trailer. Um, and I have to say, I actually was pretty impressed by it. There were things about it that I didn't think I liked, and there were things about it that I thought were clever. And then after watching it on my own time, I put it on for a couple different clients while I was tattooing them. So I had the benefit of being able to listen to the script, you know, beginning to end and, and glance up at the screen occasionally. And as time went on, I really warmed up to it. And I actually think it's a pretty interesting and successful uh, reboot of the slasher genre. Before we get like into the whys and, and, and the pros and cons, what did you think of it overall, like just, just first time watch? I liked it more than I originally went into it thinking I would, because originally, like you said, I saw the trailer and I said, I don't think that's going to be for me. And I passed on it. I watched it. I still don't think it's for me, but that doesn't mean (laughs) I can't take away things that I feel like are done well. The things that are going to be kind of impactful, as you said, like to the genre going forward from there, at least like adding a little bit of freshness into it. I think writing about insufferable characters and being self-aware that they're insufferable doesn't make them less insufferable to watch. Um, And I think that was my main gripe is having the characters purposefully be these kind of very catty, vapid 
Gen Zers doesn't necessarily make it any more enjoyable to watch them knowing sure. that it's kind of taking the piss out of them um, in most of the film. Well, very quickly for people that don't know, just super quick. The film is about a bunch of 20-somethings and they are going to one of their extremely rich friends' mansions because their family is away uh, for the weekend. There is a huge hurricane coming, and I guess there's a thing called a hurricane party. Maybe it's popular on TikTok or something. I never heard of that. (laughs) But it's a hurricane party. They're going to get hurricaned in together and hang out and drink and do drugs and whatever. And they end up playing a game called Bodies, 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 which I guess is a permutation of a game called Werewolf that a lot of people might know. I think it's very similar to Mafia or something, and it's like a a concept that has a lot of different names. For the sake of the movie, it's called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And what ends up happening is someone really gets murdered, and then it's a whodunit of all these kids trapped in a house, and chaos ensues. That's, That's the short end of it. Yeah, so I think the, like you mentioned before, that it ends up being something fresh to the slasher genre for its time. I think it ends up doing well in paying homage to the kind of classic whodunit piece of slashers before it kind of turned into the the Jasons and all of that from there on out. Like back when it was still coming from its Yala roots of the, we don't know who the killer is, what may be going on here. I think it kind of returns to that idea while also kind of keeping it with the more modern, like this is kind of where I guess the A24-ness comes from it, of the isolation between the the characters and their outward appearance versus their inward thoughts and sure. all of the breakdown between all the social interactions among the group and the animosities that grow because now all of a sudden placed under pressure, the niceties that they say to each other are now starting to break down. And at the end of the day, everything that they think they're better than the previous generations for in the film, they're just as bad as anybody else yeah. at the end of the day. Well, we're not going to give any spoilers away because once again, it's essentially a whodunit. So we got to keep certain certain aspects we're not going to really talk about. But what I think is most interesting about Bodies, 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 and what grew on me about it was when I first watched it, I sort of was taking it very much like Tim does on the surface of the fact that all these characters pretty much suck. That was kind of a bizarre turnoff I was interested in, in in the actions of what was going on, but the people portraying them, I, I found most of them to be insufferable. But as it went on, I kind of got into certain characters that they give a bit more dimension to, which carried me through the movie, plus the fact that it's interestingly put together in terms of the way it's filmed and some of the choices they use. I had mentioned to Tim um, off mic that the last act of the movie is almost completely lit with cell phone screens, which leads me back to where I was going of of how I think this movie is actually kind of smarter and cooler than I maybe first thought. The second time I watched it, some of the messages were coming through as far as the, the intellectual way that it's presenting a satire, because I kind of wrote it off as a, a a Gen Z like clue. But the more I thought about the actual plot and what transpires in that plot and some of 
the lines, the pivotal lines of dialogue between some of the characters, I started realizing that it's actually a satire on Gen Z culture without mindlessly dunking on Gen Z culture. It's somehow treating the people not as buffoons, as decent human beings that unfortunately are just so embroiled and wrapped up in the day-to-day technology. Because I know that a lot of sci-fi films and horror movies will touch on like, you know, computers or AI actually becoming a threat to mankind because they're smarter than us. And I thought it was kind of interesting that every 10 or 15 years, somebody tries to kind of reinvent the slasher genre. And I think you get a scream and then you get all the followers of scream. Then you get some people trying to reinvent it again, but failing. And then every once in a while it comes around again, where they actually managed to put a fresh wrinkle into it. And what I liked about bodies, bodies, bodies was that Gen Z culture, I, I feel, and this is, this is me weighing in in almost a political or social sense, which I don't do too often, <laughs> but I feel that a lot of Gen Z culture, the kernel ideas of a lot of what these kids stand for, they start out with the greatest intention. And I truly think the concepts or the ideas are heartfelt and positive. But unfortunately, a lot of times through social media and through language, because kids, well, I guess any generation has their own set of of, um, slang and and language that they use. But I think Gen Z even more so, simply because we have texting and all of that. It never shits on these kids, but it shows you what they perceive to be reality versus what actual reality may be. And I'm not even saying this is straight up just Gen Z. All the people in the film are Gen Zers, but I do think that the whole technology, smartphones, the persona that we curate, that we put out on social media, all of that stuff has bled over into my generation and the generation before me. I mean, you've got the two political ends going crazy over everything. That's no different, really, than like a Gen Z kid flipping out about gender pronouns or, or, you know, any sort of thing that falls under that banner. So I know I got a little ranty, but I kind of really appreciate that the director is not a Gen Z person. She's she's older. She's more in our age bracket. Her name is is Helena Rajan, R-E-I-J-N. She's a Dutch actress and writer and director, so I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. But yeah, she kind of she kind of walks an interesting tightrope because there are some pretty pointed conversations about how fucking stupid some of the Gen Z stuff is. But then again, there's also these conversations and these moments that really show the damage that constantly being hooked up to all sorts of, of um, social media technology has on everyone, like, like an overarching theme of like, is this what our present is? And can we ever really dial this back for the future? Will it only progressively get worse? And it poses a couple of situations that, again, I can't spoil them because they're kind of cool. And one of them caught me way off guard. It's clever. I guess the reveal at the end it might make some people roll their eyes. I thought it was pretty freaking clever and I wasn't, it was unexpected and I liked it. 
So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one to talk about because again, it's a murder mystery. You know, my negative towards it, it's so over the top that I kind of wish the murder aspect, like the kills, I kind of wish that they were amped up a little and a little bit crazier strictly because we're not watching we're not watching something that's presented as as um run of the mill reality. It is a very stylized movie. So I kind yeah. of I I could have dealt did did you kind of want a little more like gore for gore's sake? Yeah, maybe more along the line like um not similar, but if you've seen uh the babysitter. Sure. Like the deaths in that were a little bit more yeah. over the top but done in a more stylized comedic way compared with the, the rest of the movie, which like you said, I, I think overall the idea behind the movie works really well. It doesn't necessarily parody or make fun of the generation of the characters. I think it's just really putting a magnifying glass on anybody placed under pressure. You start to really see Sure. What things do they say versus what things will they actually believe when it comes time for whatever the the situation is for them? And as I said, it isn't just Gen Z. I mean, if anyone here who's seen Knives Out, Knives Out is a great whodunit. And there's elements of like, you know, one character has flam, her like her internet thing. And then you've got like Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson and all these adults that are like you know, very, very egotistical and turn on a dime on people they supposedly love. So I don't really think the movie is like just slamming Gen Z. It's, it's just choosing to show you that like, there's a, there's a moment in the movie where someone for the past hour, they've been thinking that this person is an army vet and the reveal to that one thing, it isn't really a spoiler that changes the story you actually find out that they are a vet tech and it's that kind of thing where it's like, if, if you're not really paying attention and actually talking to people, you don't necessarily really know who these people are. You're, you're just taking it at face value because you, you saw a meme or you read it online or, or you heard a rumor kind of thing. Well, I mean, that kind of almost brings me to the, the idea of like American psycho years ago of, the satire plus, I mean, all the horror side, but like the satire of the business world of all of these people talking without ever actually communicating. It's just, I recognize this person. Wait, maybe it's not that person because I don't really know them. It's yeah. just, they all just look alike. I can't tell things apart. We communicate all the time, but I don't actually understand anything about them. And I think that carries forward from kind of that more... Uh, Gen X yuppie scenario to the characters in this of they are constantly on their phones. They're constantly talking about the group chat, constantly all of these things, but how much do they really know about each other? Because they're not truly really getting into all of that. Yeah. Um, and that's any generation really. You're right though. Bodies has a way more in common with American psycho than you would think. It actually does though. There, there's, there's a lot of little nods to that sort of mindset. Yeah. Um, and really, I think that's why I think I warmed up to it more after hearing the script a couple of times, simply because Helena and crew could have just made, uh, you know, a slasher movie murder mystery with a bunch of 20 somethings. They didn't have to go the extra mile and actually try to fold in some some very subtle and sometimes not subtle commentary. And I don't think they did it in a pushy way. 
they actually did it in, in a pretty organic way considering the story. So yeah, for anyone who was like on the fence or turned off, you know, I, I say, I say give bodies a shot. It's, it's a cool movie. Yeah. Great. Uh, speaking of biting social commentary. Holy shit. That's all I can say. Oh boy. Um, oh boy. So this was a movie I was very apprehensive about getting into because I personally did not like the first movie. It was on years ago on previous podcasts before any of our current ones. I had talked about the film Terrified um, and said, watch Terrified. Do not watch Terrifier. If you see a clown (laughs) on it, it is the wrong movie and it is not worth watching. I have not really changed my thoughts on the original Terrifier. Go check it out. It's not for me. Terrifier 2. I appreciated it more. So, did you figure out what you're dressing up as tomorrow? He wants to dress up as a real guy who murdered nine people last year. Oh, you're not doing that. That's just a costume. You think that guy's still out there? What's up with you and this clown all of a sudden? You're like obsessed. They never found his body. What if he decides to come back here? I wouldn't worry about it. Wait a minute, aren't you that guy from the costume shop? Sir, what are you doing? It wasn't me. He was covered in blood on his shirt and his hands when he got here. I'm telling you, it was him, Ellie. Right down to the little black dot on the tip of his nose. You're really weird, you know that? I believe him. About what? Something really bad's gonna happen tonight. No, I, I know when Jonathan's lying, okay? I, I could hear it in his voice. Something's, something's wrong. Look, we're gonna have fun. Mm-hmm. Stress-free environment. Yep. Speaking of surprises, kids, we have a very special guest with us today. All the way from Miles County. Please welcome Art the Clown. Yeah, well, we don't lie to you guys. I oftentimes joke that Tim and I were born with one large brain that was split into our two bodies. And we both love horror. Like, Tim and I fucking love horror movies and all the horror-adjacent stuff, and we love action movies and comedies. We just love film. We both grew up as little freaks, you know, glued to our TV screens. We love movies. And man, Terrifier, the first Terrifier, so many people were gushing about how great this film was and how it was this unapologetic throwback to like 80s slashers and the heyday of horror. I can't stress to you guys how much I wanted to like Terrifier. I really, really wanted to like this movie. And I'm going to be bluntly honest. I barely got, I had to watch it, try to watch it twice. And I forced myself to the finish line the second time around only because I just wanted to say that I saw the whole movie. I didn't hate it. There are many, many, many worse films out there, but it didn't grab me. I appreciated Damien Leone's passion. I could tell that the person making Terrifier was passionate. I thought Art the Clown was creepy as hell. I liked his look. I kind of remember him as that wraparound from, what was it? Was it All Hallows Eve or something like that? Yeah, so... It was like an anthology movie that... So originally, I think it was one of his short films. Then he did, um, I think it was All Hallows' Eve. That was the anthology where he used art in the wraparound and got to reuse, I guess, like the 
original short film. Yeah, it started as like an, an internet short, right? Like yeah. just and a then little it short. Kind of progressed into Terrifier from there. Like I agree. I love the character of Art the Clown. I think he the design is terrific. I think yeah. David Howard Thornton um, He brings it, man. Yeah. Like with no dialogue. Like he's a mime. The thing that is so interesting to me is in Terrifier 1, I didn't get that. But in Terrifier 2, I really got this feeling throughout that I enjoyed because it reminded me almost of like the the Batman animated series, like Mark Hamill Joker in sure. some of the facial expressions of like cheerful. And then immediately his face would just drop and then it would be, but which one's the real him? Is it the, yeah. he's the, the laughable jokey thing and he's just relishing in murder or is it actually he's always on that second level and there's so many parts in this movie that he'll be joking and all of a sudden it'll just flip that switch and it's not necessarily even in the violent scenes it'll just be him walking around or like there's scenes of him in the costume shop just playing around and having (laughs) fun and then all of a sudden it'll just be like and snap and all of a sudden he makes a face and it's also weird that you mentioned the joker from you know from the Batman show because when I was watching Terrifier two I was getting these Conrad Veidt Man Who Laughs vibes oh yeah simply because the Joker was based on the Man Who Laughs and it's a silent film so it was even but it, clearly that influence has to be there for both of us to pick up on it you know in different incarnations but yeah back to Terrifier we both appreciate the swagger and the passion but neither of us really got the movie so obviously we were both like not dying to see the new terrifier, even though once again, like no one would stop. Everyone was talking about it. Everybody. So yeah, I bought it on 4k. I was like, I want to give Damien Leone some money because I know the dude's working hard and I'm just going to watch this thing with an open mind. And that's what I did. I watched it with an open mind. And the verdict, the verdict is it's hard to give you a synopsis because with all the good in it, it's still really not about much. It's like <laughs> Art the Clown is some sort of sinister entity, and he returns to the the county that he was in. It's Halloween night, I'm assuming, or the day before Halloween, and and he kills a shitload of people in really really vicious ways. My verdict on it is. For pure carnage candy, for for the love of gore and oddly placed humor and uncomfortableness, this fucking movie has it in spades. I mean, there's no, you can't deny it. It's uncomfortable, it's bizarre, and it's bloody as hell. I wasn't won over by any other aspect, really. I'm just being honest. I thought the lead girl, Lauren Levera, was an extremely good performance from her. Her surrounding people, other than Art the Clown, you know, the mom was was pretty weak and the friend was pretty weak. And I don't know, it's weird the way Tim found a lot of the characters from Bodies to be like annoying. I found a lot of the characters in this to be annoying. I don't know if I was supposed to find them to be annoying or not, but I had a grand old time. I'm glad I own it. Um, yeah. I, I probably will watch it, you know, next year, maybe like I'll watch it again. But yeah, I mean, did you like it more than me? Because I, I got what I wanted from it. Yeah, I, th- like, I think I, I liked I it. truly did. Yeah, I think I liked it more than you. Um, just because I think the big difference between this and the first one, what turned me off so much of the first one is it seemed like it was 
relishing so much in just the how much can we brutalize bodies in this thing like there's not characters it's just here's bodies for us to be able to do horrible things to and you're supposed to kind of find enjoyment in that it's funny that you're talking about the first one because it sounds like you're talking about this one but, but at I least digress. the second one has <laughs> like, like the character of sienna and at least we have time with her family and time with her friends it's it's the difference between if in Halloween we didn't get any of the scenes with Laurie Strode and it was just following Michael around, just murdering people the entire night. Yeah. And this, at least like instead of we follow Art around for a bit, but then it's as soon as it switches from Art and it starts following Sienna and her story and then her friends and kind of getting involved. There's actually, there's not a huge story, but there's a bit of story at least to that, that you have some character to root for. There's some yeah. character to kind of hope somebody lives, somebody dies. There are still a lot of throwaway characters, as you said, that their only purpose there is just for body fodder. Yeah. So this way we can see the next like brutalization. Well, just so we're clear, I think Terrifier 2 ups the ante and improves every single possible aspect of Terrifier 1. I, yeah. I think it's, a, it's, it's not a marked improvement. It's like a night and day improvement. I really liked the film. Yeah. And like, I know I keep saying it seems like it relishes less in the brutalization from the first movie. D don't get me wrong. It's more violent than the Please first movie. Please don't get movie. it wrong because it's fucking yeah. violent. It's, it's violent. But I think the difference is in the first one, like, I can't laugh at it no matter how yeah. over the top it is because it almost seems kind of vile what you're watching. In this one, it's super violent, but it's almost over the top to the point of black comedy just yeah. because i mean there's a scene where there's salt being rubbed in wounds and all i can think of the entire thing is in waxwork too when bruce campbell's chained up on the wall with his mm -hmm. chest exposed and his bones and somebody throws the salt at somebody and misses and hits him in the chest and he's screaming on the the chains yeah and you still laugh at that even though it's terrible and that still kind of reminds me of parts from this movie there's still well, stuff I'm gonna, that I'm gonna, I'm like oh but i'm gonna explain one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, and it's it's very early on. You're introduced to Art in this one. He kills someone, and he's covered in blood, and he goes into a laundromat. And I'm, like, watching the movie, like, all right, cool. You know, I just got to see a whole bunch of practical gore. That's cool. That's filling, like, my gore quotient, but I'm wondering, like, is this just going to have no connective tissue, and it's just going to be this onslaught of blood? Because that'll get boring pretty quickly. But no, it doesn't. He goes into this laundromat and the attendant is sleeping and Art just strips down to complete nakedness, except for his weird like like clown face, which I guess is him. It's got makeup on it, but it's like it's actually him. It's not a mask. And he's sitting there naked while his clothes are cleaning in, in, the, wa in the washing machine. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye... He sees this creepy little girl version of him, sort of like a demented version of like um, a beauty pageant, like a little girl with her hair all up in the air and she's wearing a little dress, but she's got the black gums and the big white teeth like him. And they're having, like Tim mentioned, the comedy, they're having this like this sort of miming back and forth, like waving to one another and cocking their heads as they look into each other's eyes. And then she comes over to him and they start playing a game of like patty cake. 
And at some point, the attendant wakes up and sees art, but it's a figment of his imagination. So it's art doing patty cake with nothing. It's just this creepy clown silently laughing, patty caking the air. And then it immediately cuts back to his POV of seeing the little girl. So my point is, it's got style and it's got like, there's there's good editing, there's cool camera setups, there's things about it that actually drew me in as a film goer to where I was like, what the fuck's going on? This is so weird, but I'm totally into it. I was like actually into where this story was going to go. And I will say that the non-art stuff is almost equally enigmatic to the art stuff because you know nothing really about the rules or who this guy is, which I think works great for art. And then when they incorporate the family, they do give you like something to grasp onto, but then they start kind of creating a mythology that I, (laughs) this is what cracks me up, Tim. The movie is two and a half hours long. It's a half hour too long, but in two and a half hours, they still didn't really answer my questions. A lot of my questions <laughs> as to the mythology, which I would have probably taken that two and a half hours a little easier. If I got a little bit more of a cohesive explanation and backstory, I'm sure there's going to be a third one. So maybe yeah. questions will be answered, but it's an endurance test. Like there is shit in this movie that would make Lucio Fulci smile from from his grave like there's eye trauma there are human pincushions there are people being whipped and sliced in half like faces being torn off i could keep talking for five minutes coming up with um explicit explanations of gore and i still won't grab every single type of bodily trauma or murderous element it's so overflowing with fucking gore like it's it's sort of amazing for the budget because was this not all crowdfunded and stuff tim if my memory is correct yeah because you're right as far as the the production so originally i guess it got launched under an indiegogo campaign that was supposed to be shooting for like fifty thousand, and ultimately by the end of it it had reached something like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars he put every penny on the screen man he really yeah. did. I actually think if it was shot on, if it was shot on video, they must have done a um a pass with some film grain. It's not obtrusive film grain, but it really looked like film. The lighting looks like video, but the texture of it, it has um there's actually the very opening of the movie. Did you happen to notice that the credits uh Tim, the opening credits, there's a tiny little bit of um, title card jitter that I'm positive was, was added like, you know, cause it's not, I don't think it was shot on film, but they make the titles and everything. They just oscillate a tiny bit as if you're watching film being run. I, I was impressed by that. Yeah. It's all the little things in it overall that clearly it's, he's a fan of all of the, the horror over the years. Um, especially it's like that very, late 70s early 80s kind of grindhouse horror and i think it it definitely makes me interested in seeing terrifier 3 uh, oh i'm totally down i i want him to expand did you see the post-credit scene oh yes that was it's like a head scratcher in more ways than one yeah but it had me intrigued uh (laughs) i definitely was was caught off guard on that 
So I think for anyone that is not squeamish, uh, Terrifier 2, even if you didn't like the first one, it's definitely worth checking out. I think if you did enjoy the first one, then you probably have already watched this. this. And I'm going to warn people, if any of you have seen maybe the Evil Dead remake, think of the gore in that. And, And this is not an exaggeration. I would say multiply it by 10, and you're somewhere in the range of the gore of this. I I mean, there are some things in this that are, nothing really turns my stomach because of, I'm aware that it's rubber and silicone, and I'm impressed with what Damien Leone pulled off because not only did he direct it, he did the effects, which are pretty stunning effects. But yeah, you you gotta be cool with like, you know, people having like slices of their, their limbs taken off and arms get broken like chicken wings, like the way you would break apart, break down a chicken. There's a scene where a girl gets broken down like a giant chicken. It's disgusting. Like he breaks her arm off at the elbow. It's, it's very gnarly stuff. So be prepared for that. I have no segue uh, into our next movie. Uh, Do you want to see a robot girl sing titanium? (laughs) (laughs) We were both doing our art impression there. (laughs) If you didn't, just casually waving at the screen. Yeah, we were waving at you. You just didn't see it. <laughs> so yeah, so curing us from Terrifier 2, um, as we mentioned, a, a robot girl uh, in yeah. 2022's uh, Megan, or M3 Gan, by Gerard Johnston. Hi, I'm Megan. I designed Megan to protect Katie from feeling lonely. You're going to pair with her. It's insane, right? I won't let anything harm you. Megan! You should run. What the hell was that? Did Megan do something bad? Hold the door! What are you? I'm Megan. Megan, rated PG-13. Yeah, we are turning the violence quotient down from 11 to about a 3. Maybe even a 2. Yeah, I think this is... The now here's the thing with Megan. I saw the original version, and then you saw the unrated version, and it sounds like there wasn't a ton difference between both of what we saw, other than maybe like some language and a couple added yeah. um, little like extra seconds that got cut as far as like violence or things. I would call the the unrated cut versus the theatrical cut one of those standard studio cash grabs because I did notice it just got released on Blu-ray. And of course it's the unrated cut and we watched it on what Peacock. Is that who had it? I think streaming? So, yeah. I think it was Peacock. If anyone has, I think it is streaming on Peacock, but if, if you if you search Megan, don't look for the opening title card of like what's new. Actually search Megan, because if you search it, you'll get two different title cards to choose from. One's the theatrical, one's the unrated. I chose the unrated. And then after watching it, I just hopped online and typed in what are the differences because I didn't see the theatrical cut. It's really a couple of F-bombs and like, you know, five seconds of, of violence, you know, trimmed from a couple different scenes. But if you're going to watch it, you might as well watch the unrated cut. But Megan, what a what an oddly pleasant surprise I found Megan to be. Yeah, so Megan kind of, when we were talking about doing it for this episode, gave the idea of a technology run amok episode that I want to eventually do. 
that spawned a list much larger than I originally intended. As, As you usual. started saying, oh, it's... yeah, and of course you need to add this. Oh, and of course you forgot this. And then it turned from like five into 12. Yeah, so we're going to do Megan now. Yeah. And then so we'll, me- we'll mention her when we do our, our technology yeah. run amok. So Megan, kind of a, a very, uh, not necessarily a, a story we haven't seen some similarities to before, but it's the parents into passing away. And the young girl, uh, Katie, ends up getting left with her. I think it was her mother's sister or the father's yeah, her, sister, but it's her tech it's her savvy aunt. aunt who doesn't have kids and doesn't know how to handle kids. Yeah. So she's very independent. She works for this big corporation working on children's toys. And she works in that the technology and kind of research and development department with her two person team other than her. And, and she working... happens to be the, the Stephen Hawking of artificial intelligence, which is yeah. a little hard to swallow right off the bat, but okay. All right. That she's, she's making a, like Furbies for a living, but also she's developing like self-learning AI. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So if she, that's the leap we got to take, I'll take it. I was taking it. <laughs> so in her free time, um, aside from making Furbos or whatever they're called in this, she's working on Megan, which is this kind of lifelike doll that is given this AI that is going to learn from her surroundings and be able to be that great friend to a child that they bond with. And everybody's going to end up wanting it. And her argument is you don't need to compete with the competitor at who can churn out a Furby for less money when you're moving on to the next thing of it's a $10,000 toy and it will be the last toy you need to buy for your child for the entirety of kind of their childhood. And that's kind of where this comes in. For the old folks listening, it's Teddy Ruxpin 8.0. It's like a a very updated version of Teddy Ruxpin. I want that gritty Teddy Ruxpin reboot uh, done in the Megan style. So yeah, so the the prototype that she has ends up um, bonding with the niece and she decides, okay, well, this is working well, so we're going to bring you in for some tests and be able to, like, kind of use you as the example of showing it off to our bosses. Yeah, they want and to pair her, like, pair it, like, literally, like an upload pairing yeah. to where this is your, this is like your iPad now, like, it's paired to you, which is an interesting concept, pairing pairing a toy with the, with the person. Yeah, which, I mean, it's one of those things that, in theory, as a kid, I would have been all for it, of, like, oh, I can pair with my toy that, like, I have a best friend that follows me around and can do all these things and act like a computer. But then it ends up just being the, how does Megan interact into the family? How does she start getting um, kind of evolved and integrated into all of what's going on with this? And they weren't expecting her to become a therapist. They, exactly. they were not, they weren't expecting that, but it makes sense. Why wouldn't, if, if she has access to everything on the internet and the child is sad, why wouldn't an AI try to comfort that child? And also we're missing the fact that like, this girl's an orphan. Her two parents just got creamed by a freaking truck. Like, is it really smart to be sticking this really damaged, sad kid who should be in actual therapy with this AI, but they do it in the movie and yeah. it gets dark. And then the, so the, the child, as time goes on and they kind of find that Katie is using Megan as kind of a, they feel a crutch and it's, is Megan healthy for her? Is Megan not healthy for her? How is Megan handling being kind of put in and then pulled away and then put in and then pulled away. And it's ends up progressing into kind of this more 
as I said, technology run amok area towards the, yeah. the back half of this. She essentially starts acting like a guard dog, you know, in, in for all intents. It's if if you have like an AI, by the way, for anyone who hasn't seen a trailer for this movie, Megan is not like, you know, a nuts and bolts, uh, robotic looking person. She looks like a creepy, like when you see friends that use too many filters on their photos, like she looks like an actual human being, just a little like glossed over, like you did digital noise reduction on a person. She's very like smooth and and silicone looking, but there's no way that you wouldn't. Ah, you have to suspend your disbelief on this, but there's so many like warning signs because if someone wants to bully your kid and it's paired with an extremely strong little human, like a robot human, why would you not think that that, well, of course there's the protocols. I'm getting ahead of myself. Any, any movie, whether it's Chopping Mall or the newest Child's Play remake or Megan, there's always protocols that keep the thing from killing people. But we all know those protocols seem to be very easy to either reroute or to fry with electricity or whatever it may be. So once Megan figures out a way to, I don't know, not be not be subservient to the aunt. Then we start getting into scary movie territory, I guess. Yeah. And I think it never at any point gets to kind of like a terrifying horror conclusion throughout this film. But I think it, it does ramp up to kind of being a, a fun romp. So the, the writer who ended up doing Megan, um, Akilah Cooper, who also worked on, doing the script for Malignant. She also did like Hellfest and other ones as well. But whereas Malignant was kind of this bonkers balls to the wall <laughs> horror um, that like granted you have to suspend your disbelief, but like it's a wild ride. I think Megan doesn't have that level of horror to it. It almost goes into more of a sci-fi comedy yeah. of sorts yeah. than it does as straight horror. Yeah. You would have to call it horror light because it is, yeah. it's, but I can't help but state this, Tim. Megan is essentially a ripoff of like the new child's play in theory, in its basic idea. But this movie is way more entertaining and, and way more solid than it really has any right to be. But it is. It's not perfect. There are a couple of narrative flaws that are, that are I, I don't know, they're kind of a detriment to the overall flavor of the movie i do kind of wish it was a little more violent just because like it they present the crazy spider walk running thing that they show in in the trailer it'd be nice to see a little more of that sort of thing yeah it left me wanting more but it seriously was better than i thought like i i, I thought i was gonna sit down to watch something that i could not wait for the end credits like that's what i thought i was in for but I actually kind of wish it gave me like more stuff. I could have dealt with maybe another 20 minutes of it and having it go in a bit more of a bombastic, like bonkers direction. It didn't go there, but what it gave me was like a fun, I don't know, easily digestible, almost like a 2022 riff on like deadly friend, you know, from yeah. the West Craven deadly friend. Like, it's, it, it's not, I don't know. It's not dangerous, but it's fun. 
Yeah, I think I was waiting the entire movie for kind of like in Malignant, the the, the PlayStation wacky, scene, yeah. or like where the they break out of the jail cell and then fighting their way through all of these cops and all of this thing. I was expecting kind of some sort of big display of Megan just tearing through people like that. And I don't think we ever really got it, um, but yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that it ends up kind of making the movie bad. I think it was just, it would have been better if I had gotten something like that. But it makes me interested in seeing what they're going to do next with it. Because at the end of the day, personally, I didn't really like any of the characters. I was rooting for Megan to win by the yeah. time the, this movie closed out. Oh, I totally agree. I was team Megan the whole time. And you and I always bitch about when they take one stupid little moment that actually kind of works in context with the movie, but they frame like the advertising around it. And with Megan, it's the stupid dance that she only does for a second. And it's yeah. fine in the movie, just like with Leatherface and you're canceled, bro. It's, it's just like four seconds of the film. And when I've mentioned Megan to people, they always will say to me if they haven't seen the movie, they're like, oh, with the girl doing the dance. And I'm like, that's, eh, it's more than that. Like the movie yeah. is more than that. You know, it kind of percolates. It's like a pot boiler and it comes to a low boil. You never get like that overflowing boiling pot of fun, but it gets close, close enough to where you can kill an hour and a half. No problem. Watching. Yeah. Megan. It's a low boil. I can't make pasta, but I can. Make a hard-boiled egg. It's like al dente horror, you know? <laughs> al dente. Uh, I thought that was Fulci. Well, that, that definitely is. <laughs> this is nowhere near Fulci. Um, by the way, did you notice that there is a Megan 2 in the works? Yep. They, they, yeah, they announced it. I don't know where. I'm, I'm going to guess that there ends up being an army of Megan-type robot girls. That's the only place I could see it going. It's going to be they're going to make an advanced version of Megan, and then they need the original Megan back to help stop it. And then oh, they're wow. going to do this like that... Terminator stuff. I'm making all it's... of this up, but I would watch that. <laughs> I think we're coming in hot to something that's uh, all over the place. Everyone's the talking about it. So do we do a non-spoilers talk of this? And do we then at the end give a warning? And then we'll just say for the next five minutes on the clock, will be a spoilers discussion. Well, my idea was using our quote of the week as the spoiler warning. So we're going to we're going to talk about a certain movie that deals with a ghost face killer. And then we're going to close out our show. And we're going to thank everyone and give you all of our social media stuff. Then we'll have our quote of the week that we have every week. And then we will just fucking go crazy with some spoiler talk only on the new screen. We won't bother with spoilers for the other movies. Yeah. At, at some point we'll do like an anatomy of the franchise. Um, I assume as far as this, but also we might as probably, well wait for the next one, which is coming yeah, soon. Cause so. my guess is I assume like one, two, three was a trilogy Four kind of was off by itself. I think five, six, seven might That's be what kind I'm of feeling. its own new trilogy. When we get to our spoiler talk, we'll mention what we think the seventh one is probably going to fold in because they've been hinting of a certain thing for the last two movies. So, but, but zip it. I'll, I'll get to that later. So, so scream six. He followed us here. So what do we do now? 
This isn't like any other ghost face. It's for you. Hello, Gail. Scream only in theaters March 10. Fresh in theaters like in the past couple weeks. So um, Matt Bettinelli, Alpin, and Tyler Gillette, the, the two directors on this one. It's amazing what a fucking ad budget can do, huh? Because they promoted this thing. Holy shit. It, it was the like number one movie in theaters. I mean, I think it still might be. It was the the number one most popular movie on IMDb. Um, it's bonkers that in 2023, in the year of our Lord, we're still seeing Scream take the the top title these days. Yeah, it's it's weird. But Scream, Scream is a weird franchise. I know that we both hinted our, our little comments about Scream throughout. Um, I think it's important if the two of us are going to talk about the new Scream, we should come clean on on our overall gist of the series. My personal thing with Scream is that I think the first movie is freaking great. It's it's a milestone um, in, in revamping and revitalizing the, the slasher genre. I like the film quite a bit. It's no Friday the 13th for me or anything, but I do like it. And I'm glad Wes Craven made it. I think Kevin Williamson wrote a great script. As far as the sequels, they're a mixed bag for me. It's important that I state, I don't think any Scream, I think the worst Scream movie is still fun and a good film. I don't think any of them are garbage. I think it's a very consistent series. And it is not my favorite series, far from it, but I like the series. It's a good solid series. I kind of wish that it didn't create 15 to 20 years of meta humorous copycat movies with weak kills and like no nudity. And like, it's just, it really watered down. It inadvertently watered down the slasher genre, in my opinion, and many other people's opinion too. I'm not alone, but I don't hate it. I like Scream. So over to you, Tim. I agree on all points that i i always loved the the first one i always loved a lot of the the scream movies scream 2 um, is top notch i like scream, scream 2, 2 is top lot. notch i even like 3 um 4 i like a bit okay so 1 2 6 4 3 5 um yeah. as far uh, as oddly the... enough that's my fucking ranking exactly <laughs> so <laughs> depending on the day and depending on if i wait some time and rewatch 6 I might tie or on any given day swap over two and six sure. with each other because I think two is probably overall the better movie, but I think six is just a lot of fun and there's a lot of things that it does differently that kind of breaks out from some of the stuff that we had before. Main thing being, we're finally out of Woodsboro and we are in New York City in this film. Thank God we're out of because Woodsboro. we're following. So uh, Melissa Barrera and Jenny Ortega's characters, Tara Sam, and Sam. Sam. Yeah, Sam and Tara Carpenter. Yeah, nice little, nice little nod there to Johnny. <laughs> so the the sisters that spoiler um, survived Scream Five are now moving to New York with uh, I won't give it away, but the any of their surviving friends, and now all of a sudden they think that they've gotten away they're trying to move on with their life sam is having difficulty acclimating to 
kind of a post-Ghostface world after what happened to them. But Tara doesn't want to live in the past. It's, as she says in the movie, it's, I don't want three days to define the rest of my life. Which makes sense, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. It's going back to the idea of post-Halloween, and then they go into the, the Halloween 2018, of if we got rid of all the sequels, why is it in Halloween she had one encounter on one night with somebody that broke in, and then she decided to become a survivalist and get a compound yeah. and like set up traps. It, it's very different takes on one person who's living in the past, one person who wants to move on from it. And that's kind of the thing that runs through the entirety of yeah. Scream 6 is, I guess, trying to come to terms with your past while still not dwelling on it. Um, and a lot as, of times, some some of these writers... They come into like a convoluted franchise. Halloween is a perfect example. And they think they're pulling some genius moves, but they're actually making something that was originally convoluted even more convoluted. Because when you mentioned Jamie Lee becoming a survivalist, if Halloween is 2018 is asking us to retcon and ignore every sequel except the first one, we're being told that after a couple of her friends get murdered on one night when she's a teenager, she has now spent her entire life as a, a wacky survivalist who cannot sleep at night. But then that same group of people tell us that when we get to Halloween ends, which is only a year or two later, that she suddenly ditched all the survivalness and is now just making pies and, and, and like forgot it all. So it's like they're creating their own set of problems, which we touched on in our Halloween talk with this scream movie. Tim's correct that they are smartly going in a different direction. You know, they're taking the Carpenter sisters who I very much like, and they're kind of doing some new things with them. But then we kind of run into this little thing of like, we all know it's hot right now. Legacy characters, legacy sequels, all that stuff. So we do get some legacy characters mixed back into this in New York City. Off mic, Tim and I were talking about how anyone who does a little internet research might know about how Nev Campbell, who is the Scream final girl, she's Sydney, the producers of this uh, did not give her the offer, like the money that she asked for or wouldn't work with her to pay her what she thought she deserved. So she's not in this movie. As much as I love Sydney, and I think Nev Campbell's a great actress, and I love what she brings to her. I was actually happy that she wasn't in it, and so was Tim. So, yeah. you know, just because it's a legacy character, it doesn't mean it has to be in the movie. I think Scream's better off without her in it, this one. Yeah, because I, I think it's the, I mean, that goes right back to kind of the the theme of the movie is how do you address the past without dwelling on it? And I think that's leave the legacy characters where they are let them ride off into the sunset or kind of let them do their thing. This way you can progress the story without being anchored back to, well, we have to always have this person coming in to save the day or be the continuation or, well, yeah. will they die? Won't they die? It's let's move on to another story where now we have some unknowns. Now we have some other things that we're able to kind of breathe some life into it. And I think that's one of the things I liked about six is they weren't necessarily tethered to doing another Sydney storyline, which right. I would have loved for Nev Campbell to get paid what she was owed as far as this and be able to do a project. 
But I would love to see Nev Campbell just get another cool project to work on and then just go see that without necessarily having them to then take these two sisters and then also kind of make them new characters, but then put them in the backseat because realistically they're going to need to let Sydney and Gale kind of drive. And plus, let's be honest here. Some of these sequels and franchises, like because the cash cow is still there, we're not talking like 10 years. Some of them are 20, 30, 40 years old. Like we're talking decades. So like when you think of when you first saw Nev as, as Sydney, and now, like, you can actually see that in Courtney Cox's character. It's like, what more, how many books can this lady write, you know, where she trashes the people she promises she won't, and then they want to punch her? Like, how many times are you going to just keep recycling that concept? You know, it, yeah. it needs to, if you want to keep a Leatherface or a Freddy Krueger or a Ghostface as in the icon of the killer going, come up with some fresh material and man this movie like we got to cover how every scream opens with a bang that's sort of the calling card of a scream movie and i love how this one opens i went to the theater with you know like moderate expectations because i wasn't in any way blown away with scream 5 i wasn't so i went into this one being like all right am i going to sit down for another ho-hum like scream adventure but man once i saw samara weaving because i like her a lot she was in ready mm-hmm. or not she's a great actress i i rank that opener pretty high up in the, in the scream uh franchise i i thought it was a great opening once again we're not spoiling anything but you know there's a murder and it's uh, a pretty vicious murder that occurs and that sort of throws you into uh into this ghost faces in new york you you saw it you know there it is like we're going like we're going right now like immediately and it was a great jump start to the story yeah which also i think that one of the things i always appreciated about the scream series is like we mentioned with bodies 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 it gets away from the the traditional um well not the traditional but it gets away from what the slasher genre had become of here's just our iconic ip just stomping through murdering bodies yeah. and it ends up going back to more of that whodunit roots from there. And I think much, much like bodies and much like all the Giallo before it, that I think Wes Craven and Kevin Williams said they must've been into Giallo films. There's no way they weren't. Yeah. But you think look at this, what scream is, you know, the scream series has always done it where it's kind of that classic whodunit, but it still has that horror slasher bite of, it's a Jason Voorhees, but you don't know who Jason is in the mask at the end of the movie because we still have that kind of intensity and that violence coming out of the Ghostface character, but we still get to guess along with the characters on who's it going to be under the mask at the end of this. Sure. And the my age-old problem with all of the Scream movies, despite loving them, is why do we have Ghostface cool and calculating and throughout the entire film with all of these plans and all of these things and that as soon I know as the where you're going happens I they turn into a, like a mouth frothing cartoon character yeah. of just like take it up to 11 and ham it up and that's another thing too it it's a, a hindsight is 2020 thing because when i saw this you know and you have your initial impression i had to start thinking really hard i was like am i seeing the other screams through rose colored glasses like if i go back watch these movies with the same kind of um critical eye 
I was trying to imagine like, are all of them implausible? Are all of them goofy? Do they all have, like Tim mentioned, the frothing at the mouth reveal, like this Scooby-Doo of, you know, perfectly like normal seeming character for the whole movie. And the moment they're, they're outed, they just are like a freaking Jim Carrey as the Riddler. It's, it's just like so <laughs> over the top. And I'm going to be honest here. Most slashers, if not all slashers, there are several tropes that almost every slasher commits. You always have a person who gets one over on the killer has an opportunity to kill them or really knock them down good, and they run. That happens all the time. So I've acclimated myself to it. I expect it. And I think what I tend to do is give out, like you're you're watching a soccer match, where I give a couple of flags. You know, I'm like, all right, you get you can get away with that once. You could do it twice. Once you reach three times, then I get annoyed. And I also try to look at like, the, the lineage of the character. If it's a character who's faced off against this particular person before, then they should know what they're getting into. Somebody who has dealt with Jason and lived should know if they encounter Jason again, let me stab him 40 times in the brain and maybe he'll stay down long enough for me to really hightail it out of here. Yeah. So I think every Scream movie it does suffer from a few of those tropes, but they tend to do it with enough um, grandeur and enough popcorn love that you sort of like ignore a little bit of it. I will say Dewey has been stabbed pretty heavily, you know, over the course of, of the Scream movies <laughs> where I could accept if someone were to stab Tim in the leg, I'd feel terrible. I'd run in, I'd try to help him and he'd limp off with me. But if you show someone stabbing Tim in the chest, kind of turning the knife and yanking it up, I'd be immediately calling 911 and being like, Tim's going to die. Now, if you do that, and then Tim is just helping me out later in the movie, how do you not, just as a, a base level film goer, how does that not eventually start to get under your skin and like take you out of the world that they put you in. And I think that also comes into play with Ghostface, especially because it's always a different person under that mask. And it's kind of hard to stomach if Ghostface were, because I'm trying not to really spoil any of the movies. Let's say he were a small framed young man, but you see a sequence of him, you know, just throttling someone twice his size. Yeah. When you get the reveal, you kind of have to factor in that they're going to play that game a little and I'll let it slide a little, but I can't accept it when it's like over the top and it's in my face constantly, which kind of leads me into Tim and I now trying to talk about how we felt about scream the new one without spoil. Cause we can't, we can't really talk too much about the story. I mean, Ghostface is picking off, people close to the Carpenter girls. That's the bottom line yeah. without spoiling the movie. I mean, you get that from the trailer and it's happening in New York city. So, I mean, fuck man. Like, were you enjoying the ride? Oh yeah. I enjoyed the ride immensely. I think it's a movie with a lot of love for the genre overall. So taking place in New York, I thought when they originally announced it, like, Hey, Jason went to Manhattan once. And then they have Jason Takes Manhattan playing on a TV during one of yeah. the scenes. 
and I'm like, they get it. Like they're they're having fun with this too. Oh yeah. Or they're watching. Um, somebody's watching. I think it was like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and Kevin McCarthy's on the screen screaming, "You're next! You're next!" Yeah, that was. And funny. you're sitting I love there, that. and you're just kind of chuckling to yourself that like, okay, like they're they're having a lot of fun with what they're doing here. And, and there's a difference like, between blind fan service and like genuine love. And uh, Kirby comes back into the fold at some point and you get a moment, like one scene of her being the old Kirby and um, she's going back and forth with one of the other characters, you know, like rattling off movies. Yeah. And like when they talk about Psycho 2 and they they both say in unison, so underrated, like great sequel. I That hit me in the heart because I'm like, you're fucking dead on. Like Psycho 2 is an awesome sequel. Yeah. And it wasn't just like Freddy, Jason. They went a little deeper and I liked that. I yeah, did like, like it. It wasn't just a case of like one, two, three. Yeah. The Exorcist is a good movie. And they're like, oh man, like we're best friends now. Like yeah. it, it was a bit of fun involved with it, I think. Yeah. I don't want to. I can't keep this in anymore. I just got to say it. The entire time that I'm watching this movie, I was beside myself with how awesome it was. Um, I would say for the first hour, I kept finding myself thinking, this is probably the best Scream sequel ever. Like, like ever. I, I couldn't believe it. Ghostface is is vicious and he's imposing and he's not really like falling over himself every two seconds. Everything was really working. There's like there's a couple of sequences that utilize New York in a really cool way. I know some people have complained that they don't think they utilize New York enough. I thought they did. I know some of it. Some of the in- interiors were shot like in Canada or something like that, which is a weird connection to um, Friday the 13th, um, yeah. because most of that Manhattan was actually Canada. But I don't know, man. I got it. I got what they were going for, and I was loving it. And I'm going to just be so blunt. The last act, the last 20, 25 minutes, I'm watching this fucking movie, and I'm elated. I actually am sitting in a movie theater excited for what's next. And I felt like someone just took a ghost face knife and slash the artery of this fucking movie. And it just started bleeding out right in front of me. Ghostface just did a nesty plunge off a cliff. And I'm watching this film in awe as the writing suddenly gets super sloppy. The character motivations become ludicrous. The amount of people not dying that should be dying. It just took a nosedive. And the end of this movie, like from, I don't know, like, I guess the last 25 minutes, I only saw it once, so I I don't know the exact minute moment, but the ending dropped so far into fuck me territory that I left the theater feeling weird because I wasn't sure if I saw the train wreck at the end that I thought it was. I apologize if this is ruining it for people that were excited. But here's the fucked up thing. I still place it pretty high up in my ranking for the whole series because I love all the stuff that came before it. The the good in this film for me outweighs the bad. And I just wish that all the bad wasn't forced and, and condensed into the end. If it was kind of peppered throughout, I probably would have this as two or three in my ranking. 
but it's it's so concentrated at the end. And Tim and I did talk a little um, through text about it. So I know I'm not alone in feeling this. I still like the movie. I still want everyone to go to the theater. I want you guys to go see this in the movie theater because in the end, it's it's still a really good scream sequel. But I do think it shits the bed in in the last act. And we're going to talk about why when we get to the spoiler section. Yeah, because I I agree. It's if you're waiting for the whole thing to wrap up with kind of like a very intricate, like, oh, all the puzzle pieces fall into place. And now that all makes sense. It's yeah, I mean, it's an ending as far as like motive and all of this other stuff involved. There's a lot of suspension of disbelief. It's still like a fun ending sequence for me overall, as far as everything that happened and everything. But I agree, like it definitely doesn't necessarily live up to what had come before it um, in the film. I could weigh in on what Tim just said in a spoiler free way that'll explain a little bit about what we're trying to dance around. There are several really, really cool things that do occur in the last act. They're excellent sequences. The ludicrous writing and ridiculous like suspension of disbelief that you must have to get to those parts are what's frustrating because I can safely say that we both feel that you could have had better writing to lead to similar moments without having such head scratching, like, like, come on, like, come on. There were like moments where in the theater, I was like, come on, no, like, no, but they do it. And it's like, why did you do that when you could have really, gotten to the same end by doing this. So, but again, we didn't spoil anything and we're not gonna. <laughs> so, we're about to. We're, we're about to. Yeah. Um, so I, I think overall, I think we're both in agreement. Stream six, absolutely go see Scream yeah. six. If you're not a fan of Scream, if you are a fan of Scream, it's fun. Especially, I think, if you're not familiar with Scream in its entirety, I think it's a good jumping off point with five and six of even though five is my least favorite of the series you can watch five watch six because it almost feels like they're trying to do a like a a new step into this new um generation of it and as long as you know kind of the major players from prior to that point you can follow along with the current stuff and still enjoy it from there but i mean also just watch the franchise scream six has many of my favorite moments in the whole Scream franchise, but it also has several of my least favorite moments. It's so, it really is like upsetting to me because I want, I was actually, Tim, when I was watching this, I was just like, I can't wait to do the podcast because I'm going to be gushing about like, I'm going to sound like all the other fan people online. I'm going to be like, this was the best scream ever. And and again, parts of it are the best scream ever, but other parts aren't. Um, and I will say one thing when Tim was saying it's a good starting off point. If, if you haven't seen the franchise, I would have to bring up one thing that he might've forgotten. There are several moments in this scream that involve like, um, whiteboards that spoil every killer from every other screen movie. So if you don't give a shit about I mean, yeah. knowing, you know, it's like you might, if you haven't seen the other screams, you might want to watch them first. Um, unless you don't care about who the killers were. 
Yeah, I think the most Just unrealistic thing that ruined this movie for me is at one point when they say, what's your favorite Friday the 13th film? And neither one of them say five. <laughs> I thought of you when I was in the theater. I was like, T- if Tim were here, he'd be screaming five. Um, I was just waiting. If one of them said five, I would have been like, okay, scream six. I see you. That would have been cool. I, I would have been pretty fucking impressed if that happened. But yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's scream six in a nutshell. And then we're going to crack open that nut and uh, and get to the meat of the matter. But for right now, as always, Tim and I really, really appreciate um, you picking our podcast um, in conjunction with or above a bunch of other ones. That's super nice. We appreciate it. And absolutely, you could find us on a, all of our Instagram stuff. Tim is at Mr. Time. I'm at Foul Signal Art. And then we have uh, Don't Open This Podcast as our regular Instagram. And then we've got our Hive and our Twitter at Don't Open This Pod. Do you have other stuff to add? Yep. And if you want to shoot us an email as far as either uh, asking us questions, letting us know what your thoughts are on previous episodes, things you'd like to see us cover, feel free to shoot that over to don't open this podcast at gmail.com. Also, uh, as summer approaches, I do want to open up and do kind of like a, we talked about the, the don't open this podcast summer camp. And I yeah. want to do a mailbag episode, kind of like letters from camp. So Such everybody out there idea. with questions everybody out there with just kind of things that they want to uh ask us or just opinions on movies whatever the case is feel free to start sending those over uh this way we can start putting some things together for a mailbag episode uh, yeah it'll be it'll be like a, a, a cornucopia of carnage it'll just be all these little tidbits from the listeners and we'll try and cover every one of them whatever we yeah. can track down so so yeah until two weeks from now Uh, We're going to leave you with a quote of the week. And now, your quote for the week. You clumsy son of a bitch. Look what you did. I ought to turn you into scrap metal for this. Hey, I see your identification badge, please. Identification badge? Do not make any sudden moves. Sudden move? I'll give you a sudden move upside your head. What the hell is that? What is this, you worthless pile of junk, huh? Hey, look. I'm like you, you know? I work here. See? Huh? See that? Oh, shit. So now that all of that's done, uh, for any of you listeners still out there, this is the spoiler territory. As we get into Scream 6 a little bit more, we, we're not going to go crazy, but we want to just kind of get out all of these big thoughts um so for anybody that's seen scream six feel free to let us know your thoughts as well uh maybe not via instagram with spoilers just because other people might not have seen it but feel free to shoot us an email or shoot us a dm whatever the case is uh because a lot of thoughts on some of the things in this like you said if we can take the characters from this and pit them against the avengers because there's stuff that happens to these characters that would have killed characters from like the marvel universe it's just fucking ridiculous i mean i do not fancy myself as someone who can figure out the killer in in a movie like i i'm i don't know i pay attention and i do watch a lot of movies so sometimes i might pick out a killer or or the twist before certain people that might be watching the movie with me 
but I'm not some crazed mathematician who like, you know, retains every film script twist ever that I've ever seen. And I could break it down and, and I'm not even paying attention to the movie because I'm trying to pay attention to who could, can I figure it out? That isn't my deal, but I swear scream five. I figured out who the killer was before it was revealed. And I thought it was pretty weak the way they wrote it in this movie right after. Okay. Samara weaving gets killed and it's obviously flash and his buddy, and um, he gets a call from the mastermind scream that they're working under. And when that occurred, I'm sitting in the theater, minding my own business, and I'm like, oh, this really has to be somebody connected to law enforcement. Like, who else could it be? Like, it's giving them direction and killing both of them. And then, as the film progresses, very early on, I'm like, oh, shit what this roommate her dad's a cop i'm like i don't know why it's going to be him but i think it's going to be him and then as the movie's progressing a whole bunch of shit is happening that that was solidifying my my concept but i didn't want to be right i wanted to be wrong i'm like i don't I, I kept thinking they're smarter than me and what they're doing is they're leading me on on a red herring. They're going to pull the rug on me and all the other viewers that picked up on this where they're going to think that it's the cop, but it isn't going to be. And what the fuck, Tim, when his daughter gets killed, I was like, okay, cool. It's not, it, it can't be him. Like, why in the world would he kill his own daughter? I mean, I guess they could stretch all credibility and for some reason he murders his own daughter. But I, I was just like, okay, I'm wrong. I'm so excited that I'm wrong. And then I kept watching the movie, expecting it not to be him. Now, did you pick up any of that? Did you think it might have been him or, or no? They see, the problem is I talked to you before I saw the movie. And when you said, I called it early on and I didn't want to be right. <laughs> and then sorry. I turned out to be right. Then as soon as she ended up coming on screen, she was like, after my brother died, my dad works for the NY or ended up moving to the NYPD. To you thought the same thing here. And I was like, Oh, then definitely the brother's Richie. How's that for some shit? Yeah. But I don't know if I would have necessarily grabbed that immediately if I didn't already know from talking with you that like you called who it was early on. And I was like, okay, so I was kind of on the lookout for what's out here then. But here's what uh, I can't wait for you to weigh in on these things. After you get the reveal and you realize it's three people. Okay. Did your mind start backtracking through the film? Because when I get mad about shitty writing, like I try to find some sort of reasoning for the shitty writing, but this film is so sloppily and shittily written because what they craft creates, I think three is what I was able to pick out of watching the movie once three massive plot holes that make zero sense after you know who the killers are. One of them is the fact that the son, what is his name? There's there's the son and the daughter. Oh, so the daughter was Quinn and the Okay. Uh, so the real son or the, mm. the other son? No, Quinn Quinn is the girl killer and and Ethan? Yeah, I think it was is, Ethan. is the boy killer. Okay. You realize there's a whole sequence of those two kids on the phone talking all this shit that's completely 
made up for the audience to think that they're not the killers. But there's no other core four. There's no legacy person. There's no other person in the room. So if the three scream killers are talking, why are they acting like they're not the scream killers when there's no one else in the room? All they had to do was put one of those core characters in the room and there'd be a reason for them to be hiding it. And then the other sequence where the horror movie loving girl gets stabbed to death in the subway, the Ethan kid comes over and is trying to help her and screaming, call the police. But there is no one else from the movie in that environment for him to be doing that. What he would have done, I think, as the scream killer would have gone over and screamed, oh, my God, are you OK? And gone and stabbed her deeper and kept cutting her up and killing her. Like there, there was no carpenter sister on, on the fucking train. Yeah, it well, was just written to no to, one else on the train knew that knew he that was she was even stabbed because they you. weren't even standing next to each other. So all he really had to do was just, she got stabbed, see mm. it. And then it's just, okay. And, and just look at her and walk away. Yeah. So do you agree that that is an inexcusable moment to have in your supposedly tightly constructed whodunit slasher? It's like, that's like grade school bullshit that makes no sense. And then you also have Gail who can dig up anything on anyone. And she's had an entire year and never put together that Richie, that's the killer from the fifth one, right? Yeah. She never saw a picture in all of her research and all of her shit. She never saw Richie's dad. Like what they make an excuse with um, Nev's mom, you know, with all the different, whatever that shit was, she was like a hundred pounds different and whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, because I mean, yeah. like, in the the fifth movie, when Richie is doing killings and things like that, there's nothing at that point that would have his family doing this other grift kind of plan in exactly. place. Because Richie's still around. Richie's doing his own thing. They didn't even kick that off until after Richie. So, yeah, there's no reason for them to be like, oh, yeah, we weren't living together and we were doing yeah. other stuff. So it's weird that nobody would have come across that at any point yeah and also i mean the revenge for my son's death i mean whatever like that's kind of boring i mean i am glad it's the first time for the most part that it's like not tied to sydney that's true but still like uh, all i'm trying to say is like like those those sorts of glaring plot holes those are the ones that i can remember like just from watching the movie once i wonder how many others will stand out on a second viewing because now when you watch it again, you're going to be watching those two people or three people for that matter. And you know, when he picks up, when, when uh, Dermot Moroni picks up her bloody driver's license, that was another like red flag moment where I'm like, ah, he placed it there. Like that's him. So there's all that stuff that bothered me with just how they were the killers. I'm not, I haven't even gotten into the amount of lunacy connected to legacy characters being throttled. I mean, oh my God. First of all, Quinn, I guess Quinn was the ghost face killer that took out Courtney Cox's muscle bound, like six foot four boyfriend, right? Yeah. That would have been thrown Quinn. through the entertainment display. Yeah. 
And then we got Gail, who has been there, done that before. And like when she leaves that closet, I was just like, Gail would not leave that closet like that and walk yeah. into an environment with 50 different places for Ghostface to pop out of. It, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But yeah, let's talk human pincushions. Let, let's talk Swiss cheese victims, people that were eviscerated and walked away. People that got stabbed like in the abdomen, dragged up to like their chest. And then they're still walking around and just kind of clutching their stomach being like, oh, I'm not doing too well, guys. Yeah, well, that's because all your insides are outsides. Like it's yeah. there's a limit. Um, well, also, then that happens to her. And then another girl gets just like <laughs> cut in the arm. And then both of them are like on the ground doing, ah, oh, I'm out of commission. Yeah. Okay, well, one of you might have a more serious injury. So I need one of you to kind of step it up. Yeah. And that's where earlier in the episode I was saying, I got pass cards. You know, I, I got the the slasher trope cards that I'm fine with with handing a few over. But this movie goes so far into what the fuck territory when it comes to that. I I was beside myself watching this movie, being like how many gallons of blood do people have in them that I'm unaware of? Because um, <laughs> I, I always forget the, uh, the core four guy. Mason is the actor. Yeah. Chad. Chad's the character. Chad. I like Chad. I mean, he's kind of like a bro dude type, but, but I like him. He's a good character. I, I think the two siblings, Chad and Mindy both yeah. have a, a good foil to each other of Mindy being more kind of, uh, severe and a little more in your face with a very more Randy character seems that's like her uncle or whatever. And then Chad is a little bit more level headed and, and protective and through. stuff. Yeah, yeah. More protective. So it's, I think they play well off each other. Yeah. My point to you guys listening is I didn't want to see Chad die. Like I actually didn't when he fights Ghostface. And gets the drop on Ghostface, I don't know, seven times, eight times, and never follows through with, like, putting Ghostface down. I was just like, what the fuck? Why are they writing him this dumb? And then when he gets not once, but double teamed by two Ghostface killers, are we exaggerating, Tim, when we say 10 to 15 stabs each killer? Like, they light him up. Like a Christmas tree. They, it was they like just, training day with knives. Yeah, they absolutely Swiss cheese this fucking poor kid. And I was upset. I was like, oh, I like Chad. Like, damn it. Yeah. And we both know that he fucking lives. How does he live? Like, Not only does he live, it. but he's getting carted away with an oxygen mask. Yeah. And then Tara runs up to him and to pulls kiss the o- oxygen mask off to kiss him. And she's like, you survived. He's trying to talk. And it's like. You should be dead. At least pretend to be hurt. And his sister doesn't die. And and fucking Gail doesn't die. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. Like And the sister doesn't die, and then she runs all the way from the hospital to the end scene to be there when it happens. Yeah. And then just explains it as like, yeah, I'm still hurt. They gave me a lot of drugs. They were really great. Oh yeah, they did that one. Really? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My whole point is, if you're trying to give me steaks and create steaks, do not give me fucking stale fish sticks. And there are no steaks at all when everyone fucking lives. It was ridiculous. We haven't even gotten yet to 
oh man, what I was talking about, <sighs> dumb shit getting us to a cool moment. The reveal of like all the ghost face, you know, memorabilia, cool scene. I like the scene. The reality of how in the world you can get all of that, unless maybe you were a cop, because they make that, that I think, um, I think what's her name? Uh, <laughs> Kirby. Doesn't she make the comment about how, or a dirty cop or, or like a cop you could pay. Yeah. Somebody or makes whatever. a, they're like, shouldn't this all be locked up in evidence yeah. if that's the case? And somebody said, oh, well, uh, a cop's probably willing to make an extra buck on the side. Yeah. And I granted now I'm going to start sound like a nitpicking fuck, but they show you Skeet Ulrich's like original scream outfit. Why is a 30 year old knife covered in fresh, bright red blood? Like that was weird. Um, but well, they have le- to re-blood it. <laughs> they re-blood so it, yeah. Yeah, they have a blood guy. And that leads me to, I think, a cool moment is when Melissa Barrera dons the suit, you know, with the mask. I, It's a great idea. I like, it. I like it a lot. But how it gets there, it's like all this chaos is going on and what you stop for a minute and like change and put this outfit on and, and you get the drop on on uh, uh, Dermot Moroni again, who has a loaded weapon. And instead of firing the loaded weapon at this crazy bitch coming at you, instead you're like, no. And he holds the gun up in the air, the loaded gun. Like, like I understand that if you kill those main characters, then the movie would just end. I get that, but you don't have to create a scenario where his character could have shot them so many different times and doesn't. It <laughs> he doesn't probably make any saw sense. the amount of damage the rest of them took and still kept coming. He was like, yeah. "It's useless." <laughs> yeah, he was like, "These are cybernetic organisms." Um, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Well, but- also the fact that at one point, uh, Tara yeah. gets like stabbed in the lower back, like in the spine. Mm-hmm. never addresses that. No, it's just like do. in the last third of the movie, she gets stabbed and then just like walks it off the rest of the time. And at the end of the movie, she's just standing there talking in a sling. That's yeah. great. Does anybody address the fact that like all of the other stab wounds? Oh yeah. And you know, going back to your comment about the frothing at the mouth, Dermot Moroni is not a bad actor. I have seen him in many different things. Oh, yeah. I don't know if he was directed this way, or if he just sort of went off the rails and started like, like, you know, taking the character in his own direction. But man, he just goes so over the top. Like, like, I mean, all three of the, them did. You're right. All three. It, it was a, a, a trio of overacting, um, but it made it hard to stomach. Like, that's what I'm saying to you when I said I felt like someone just cut the artery of the movie. There's such a shift in the style. And, and like the pacing and everything that occurs where they try and shoehorn in the whole let me go thing. Like I get where they're going with the sister arc and the let me go and the double meaning of it and, and all that stuff. But it was like, it was strange how they toy with Barrera's like uh dark side, but you end up seeing her be like an unbridled killing machine. And her sister's not even, like, phased by it. She's more, like, high-fiving her about it. Yeah. And then, like, they walk out of the place, and she's, like, kind of calm and collected. Like, I would look at that as a major red flag to my sister being a fucking psycho. Like, it, it's like it didn't even affect her that she just, like, jammed. Doesn't she jam the knife in his 
eye mouth. or his nose or mouth. Oh, or yeah, something. it was like sta- or somebody gets stabbed in the mouth and then she stabs the other guy in the eye. Yeah, we're talking like barbaric insanity, only for them to walk out of a mass murder scene to cops all over the place that are not cornering off the perimeter. They walk right by them, covered in blood, and then she nonchalantly drops a major piece of evidence, (laughs) the the scream mask. She's like, tosses it. Like, they almost center on it in a way that's calling attention to how much she's just like, oh, this whole thing? Let me just drop this right in the street. You know, as a cop, like, walks by it and doesn't even, like, look around. What we don't Uh, see is directly after the credits, the four officers who knocked the two of them down and cuffed them 10 feet farther down the road. Oh, man. It's, you know... And that's what I'm saying. All that together sounds like we hated it. (laughs) But we didn't. Yeah, we definitely didn't. We we really didn't. And I'm going hard because what they gave me earlier and what they gave Tim and what they gave all these viewers that were dying to see it, they gave you a good Scream movie. And then they gave you like a check your brain at the door. Like, I don't know. It It was just so strange. It felt so out of place. With the rest of the film. We didn't even talk when we were doing the regular episode. I love how the way the the corner store, like the the uh the little convenience store. Oh yeah. The way they play it in the um in the trailer is very different than where it comes in. I actually thought that would have been the opener. Like for some reason, yeah. I expected that to be the opening. But it's like in the middle of the movie, and it's really cool the way it it's like he doesn't have the gun. He takes the gun from the, the guy working there. It's a cool sequence. Really good tension. I, I, I dug that one a lot. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's my one of my favorite and least favorite Scream movies. Like, it's weird. It's really weird. I think it will be one that I continue to rewatch just because at the end of the day, I think all of the pieces together are fun. Even if it's got that kind of goofy tacked on back piece, I yeah. think it's still cool i do love the idea of sam being like unstable um and it's kind of constantly fighting with the killer side versus non-killer side and the fact that the the end piece is the killers aren't safe just as they are because she's also crazy going around there so it's Mm. I wish they did more of the, Well, also, I love the whole thing of, like, they finally get Dermot Mulroney, and she's like, yeah, that was my dad. I'm not a killer. Really? Because you just watched right. the other right. kid die, <laughs> yeah. and then made a one-liner making fun of the other girl that's yeah. like, oh, gets her down another <laughs> brother, and then shoots her in the face, but she's not a killer. I know. It's completely ridiculous. And that's what I mean, where it's just the writing. It's like, I feel like... Someone wrote the script we watched, and then someone else just came in and wrote the last 20 minutes. It was really strange like that. And it's actually kind of funny the way you were bringing up, uh, you know, the dark side of her. There are two other series that we recently have talked about that toyed with that as well. But both of those movies, like both of those offshoots got the kibosh, and that would be the whole Tommy is Tommy now Jason? Yep. And the same with, uh, what's her name there? Danielle Harris. They, they kind of played that and then and then reneged on it and pulled it back. Which led me to just touching on it. I mean, I, I didn't go crazy uh, looking this up or anything. Over the years, I've been privy to like the idea of um, 
one of the killers from the first scream not being dead. It's been out there. Yeah. It, you know, and they definitely mention it in a very pointed way in Scream 5. And they also mention it a couple of ways in this movie. And uh, this person has also been really making the rounds. Like, it seems like more than normal at, like, all of the uh, horror conventions and stuff. And I also feel like they're running out of ideas for Scream. So, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I wouldn't mind it because I really love him. Are we going to say the name? We're in the Lillard. Yeah, we're, we're in the spoiler section. Yeah. We can talk about it. I think the thing that would be interesting is everybody over the years has been talking about like, oh, like it's a Scream sequel where Stu is alive, but he's like operating from in the shadows, like in prison of mm-hmm. getting all these people to do the killings, which is cool. But also we kind of saw that in that one Kevin Bacon show of the, the serial yeah. killer, like doing that. It's also kind of similar to Saw in, in yeah. that regard. I think it would be interesting to set Stu up as, oh, they find out Stu's still alive. It's got to be Stu and find out that like he's not involved. He's rehabilitated and Stu isn't the problem at all and have Stu as one of the people that are now being kind of victimized. Kind of like a Psycho 2 vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Psycho 2, it's a great sequel. There's so many, oh oh, shit, we can get super crazy. What if that Psycho 2 thing was a hint of exactly what you're saying? Like, who knows? Um, But, you know, like, I mean, Stu's a cool character, and there's all these different, like, logical breakdowns where, where, like, if he was in prison manipulating people, well, then why would everyone not know if he was alive or dead? It's like you'd know he was alive if he was in prison. So that yeah. kind of takes that off the table. But it is the Scream franchise. They might concoct some crazy thing of they, they put him in like a witness protection prison well, that's, for that's some what reason. What I was going to say is like that would have ended up working if they didn't do Scream 3. Because when Roman did the whole thing of I was the mastermind who set all of it up okay, great, then if that didn't happen or they didn't do that movie, they could have had Stu roll over on who set Billy and him like down this path. Gotcha. So he can be as a state's witness. So this way he goes into witness protection. And then that's how they get like whoever originally kicked things off with Billy. But then that already happened. So it's like, okay, so there's really no reason for them to ever hide Stu's whereabouts from anybody. Well, maybe you could validate or put to bed this thought in my head. Obviously, you and I take in a lot of information, and sometimes I'll wonder if I have a hazy memory of something that I might have thought would be cool, or if I actually read it somewhere. I feel like years back, I read something online about a proposed Scream sequel that never was because the sequel involves Stu, but the events that transpired were a little too similar to like what happened with Columbine. So they axed that whole thing and like wrote, let's say scream four or scream five or whatever in place of it. I I don't know if I'm imagining that if, if a listener is like, Oh God, that was this thing. If you know it, you can send it to me. So I, I think I remember reading that somewhere. So it could have been an idea that had been kicking around for a long time in the scream behind the scenes. Yeah. Because I don't know, man, when they show that whiteboard in this movie and Stu Mocker has a question mark, 
next to it is live or dead. Why the fuck would you put that there if that isn't sort yeah. of where you're going? It, it see, and they mentioned the TV. It's like they really hone in on that TV that killed Stumacher, or maybe like why do you keep bringing this up? Um, I I used to think that the Scream series was really smart, but now. I'm getting to feel that maybe they're very obvious. I, I don't or, know. Or unless it's a case of they know that's been the ongoing theory from people. Online. So that might be so a red herring like, in the new yeah. movie. Maybe. Yeah. Get you so it's think either it's a red herring or it's just them trolling the audience. And it's mm. like, yeah, we also read. But yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I will absolutely buy this film. Oh, when yeah. it comes out because I just, you know, little by little, I bought Scream 5 just to have them all, even though I rarely reach for Scream 5. Um, I think I'll reach for Scream 6 more. We never even touched on Jenna Ortega, really. Like she she brings she brings like something to the role she's in, something good. Oh, it's not a bad thing. But um, but I, I like the sisters. I think they're I think they're probably the strongest through line to whatever this new kind of like offshoot or trilogy, whatever they're doing. Yeah. I think they cast uh, a couple of good actresses, and which is I good. like that they're giving it a, a different take and a different story to the two of them, their interaction, like, okay, yeah. two sisters and one of them's unstable. The other one is trying to like do her own thing. It ends up not necessarily feeling like, oh, hey, we replaced Sydney with just yeah. another Sydney character just a proxy i would have taken here on out i would have taken samara weaving as an actual like character i I, you know i would have loved that i think she should be in everything it made sense because the two directors who did this also did ready or not and i guess on the subway scene um one of the costumes of people walking around for halloween was her character from ready or not oh yeah the bride outfit yeah i saw that i just thought it was a nod because samara weaving was in the movie yeah but that's really yeah it it sucks like she could have been it would have been nice if that was your fake out like she like he could have been trying to talk her in to the alley and she could have just been like turned on a dime and been like i'm a fucking horror professor are you out of your mind and just walked away and then they could have killed someone else and she could have come back into the fold somehow maybe after the students got killed you know, like and it was in the papers and then Samara Weaving would have come in to try and help a little bit somehow. I Which, don't know. It would have been cool. I just to like, have, like, I feel like that would have been their Randy analog for the series is, mm. oh, here's an actual horror slasher professor or like assistant professor from a school. OK, that makes sense on why they know so much and they are getting involved in all this if it's going to be movie related. Yeah, um, but like I, I get it that that role was already kind of filled by Mindy being Randy's niece. Do you know the actor's name who plays Flash slash Zero Mustafa? Uh, that is Tony Revolori. Okay, when Tony viciously stabs her to death and pulls that mask off, I got like preemptively excited because I was like, "Oh shit!" Like. They're going to have a Scream movie where like you, we know who the killer is. That's cool. Like Only because I've never seen that. I was like, that'll be a cool wrinkle. And then, of course, he gets killed like 10 minutes later. Um, <laughs> well, you thought it was going to be like he pulls the mask off and then Scream 6 is like a very Henry portrait kind of thing. I, I, I was like, why not? You know, it's New York City. It was like a different setting. I thought maybe he was going to be a character. I, I don't know. It's like you look at things after you've seen it. And I don't know if that would have been good either. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I just know that 
I don't know, man. I didn't want to know that it was Dermot Mulroney that early on. And I think it was weak writing that let you know that. And then I think it was weaker writing their way to try and forcibly put you off the path. It wasn't fair game. It was, it, it was because we didn't even talk about the insane hat trick that Dermot Mulroney would have had to play to pull off this, like, it was part Silence of the Lambs. It was part, you know, with so many different ways to hide that whole scenario. Yeah. You did some fucking prosthetics on your daughter. Like, come on. Like, give yeah. me a break. And then it swapped was, bodies with Swapped a bodies one. with, yeah, stop it. That was so cop out, man. It was just like that. I would have preferred it on. if she was in on it and he just killed her for a cause. And it was like, yeah, she was okay with this. She that would have made the only way. You know what? You like I said, you were bitching about how stupid he is on his reveal. It would have been great if it was just him and his son. And at one point, one of the characters is just like looking at him and was like, "You killed your daughter," and he's just like, "She wanted to die." Like it would have been, it would have shown you like how much of a weird culty mindset. Because that's always been my problem with the Scream series is that you're being asked as a viewer to accept that many different people just have the ability to become like cold-hearted sociopathic killers. That's like a tough thing when you have more than one. Yes. In history, I'm a true crime nerd. There definitely have been, uh, you know, double team killers, Leonard Lake and Charles Ang, all those people. It's like, it can happen, but it's usually a hardcore degenerate, sociopath and then someone who is so subservient and so damaged like Otis tool uh who is the sidekick to henry lee lucas you know he he wasn't operating at full mental capacity or there's drug addiction there's usually something yeah. that allows that person to manipulate um and i bought it for scream one you know but as it progresses you're like you know what what are you gonna have five scream killers now on the next one all of a sudden you'll be watching that that show uh the following or it follows me i oh, think it was called following. the following yeah, yeah that's the kevin bacon one with uh, yeah that's pure i thought that's what you meant when you mentioned that yeah um, honestly taking place in new york i would have loved if it wasn't sam and tara that take them out at the end it was just random gun violence from just <laughs> new york <laughs> just the screen get away and they take their mask off and they walk outside and somebody comes out from an alley yeah. and just shanks them. <laughs> like actually uh jacket them like like mugging mugging the scream killer. <laughs> they take their bag and they're like, oh my yeah. god, it's filled with knives and masks. And those rugged shoes. They got great traction, in those shoes. Um anyway, so I think we've kind of like spoiled a whole bunch of the movie. I mean, there's probably other stuff that we can't think of right now. I mean, there's a lot to take in. Yeah. I think Um, anything else would just be spoiling it for the sake of spoiling it and not necessarily for the sake of our thoughts and discussion. Yeah. Um, So I think it's a, a good point for everybody gets a little bit of everything. The people who saw it and really wanted to be involved with the, a post discussion. Thanks for sticking around Um, for everybody else. You're not listening to this part, but we appreciate you too. You know, for the devout that are listening, I'm going to throw a little Easter egg out there for you. Every week when we do our uh, quote of the week, I don't know how many people have noticed, but it's always a line from a movie from our upcoming episode. And 
Last episode, our quote of the week was from a movie that we are going to be doing in our next episode that was supposed to be this episode. But since Scream 6, it it was just such a phenomenon. We were like, we kind of have to push that one and we should do a fresh cuts thing right now. So I don't know what we're going to choose for a quote of the week this time. It'll probably be, you probably have just heard a line from a different movie from the same episode, if any of that makes (laughs) sense. So, but anyway... Thanks for listening. This is Ben. Don't open this podcast. Stop it!